This this morning, our scripture comes from Matthew chapter 19. And Jesus is talking uh, to his disciples and he says, Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. Any of you going to do that right now to go be perfect? And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Hard, but not impossible. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. These are the words for us this morning. Let them resonate in your mind as you hear the word from Mike. If you were uh, blessed to be here last, last week, you were in the presence of Methodist royalty. Last week, uh, a sermon was given by uh, Veno Caboco, who is actually a world-renowned evangelist. He gave it to the sermon in French, but even though when he would speak in French, he'd go, Samuel, we knew what he was talking about, right? And, and it's fantastic, but, but he's known around the world. And then his sister, Kabamba Kaboko, was the interpreter. And uh, when she came back after the second service, uh, she said, I'm exhausted. I said, well, did you interpret what he actually said? And she said, well, I got all the main points in, you know. <laughs> and so, you know, when you have that, that kind of royalty here and then you come back, and of course, this has been uh, the pulpit I've stood in for a number of years. When you have that kind of royalty here, it's a little bit humbling, but I'll tell you this. Because all three of us, myself, Vano, and Kabamba, would say, um, we might have different positions in the church, but we all serve the same king, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's the royalty that we need in our lives. And so when the scripture is read today, as it was, and as I seek to interpret it, I ask that you really concentrate on hearing the voice of the king. I've got pages up here. I'm, I'm at the point in my life where I have notes now, so I'll stop at a certain point. You get it. Anybody, anybody of an age says, yeah, you better have notes, otherwise just go on several hours. I have notes, and I have a voice, and I pray that you hear God's voice through that. So I'm fixing to preach the gospel. I desire that you hear it. My hope is that I speak it well. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. Uh, we have come, and we know you grant us freedom. We know that you made the world so that we might excel in it. Uh, you desire us to be close to you in love and close to you in, in action and thought and word and deed. And so we ask that you transform these particular words that were created ahead of time, uh, put together by uh, a human mind, uh, typed onto a computer, printed out in various colors and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but we ask that you transform those words to something that's magnificent and powerful that no human being could come, that only the spirit of you could transmit to our hearts. So no matter what words are said by this preacher, let your word be heard by the ears and the heart of the listener. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All the church cares about is money. Ever heard that? Now I'm going to say it again, and if you've ever heard it by any of your friends, one of your family members, somebody you work with, I want you to give me an amen, not a little Methodist patty cake amen, a real amen. All the church cares about is money. Yeah, I've heard it too. It's been said way more than one time. 
that all the church cares about is money. And sadly, and we need to admit this in the church of Jesus Christ, there have been times and there have been places where that simply has been true. Maybe not all, but a lot of what the church cared about was money. So this morning, I want to take not that sentence apart, but I want to take some time, and I appreciate you coming and and listening, and, and give some perspective of why the church of Jesus Christ needs to talk about money in Christian worship. And here's it in its simplest form. The church cares about you. The church cares about you. And money is important to you. It is. It influences most of our decisions. Every single one of us have been looking at something and said, can we afford that? How much is this going to cost? And how long is it going to cost for? You know, it it, it infects, well, it does sometimes infect, but it influences most of our decisions. We talk about costs. We look at how much stuff costs. We talk about the money matter in our life. And we need money to live. Every single one of us takes money to go. It it is. We all got here in cars. We probably ate breakfast or no, we should have eaten breakfast and could have eaten breakfast today if we wanted it. So money is important to us. And Christ teaches us that money management is an important spiritual issue. It's just not a good idea. Jesus talks about money a lot in the Bible. In fact, he talks about money more than any other subject. So we're going to do, I, I know you're all jacked up on sugar right now because we gave you the candy bars, but I'm going to give you the answer to three questions. And if you're willing to play along with me, I'd ask that you give them back to me when I ask the question. Here's the answer. Why, yes, he does. So let's practice that. Why, yes, he does. So are you here to tell me, Pastor Mike, that Jesus talks about money in the scriptures more than he talks about heaven and hell? Are you here to tell me, Pastor Mike, that Jesus talks in the scriptures more about money than he does our own salvation? Are you here, Pastor Mike, to tell us that Jesus talks about money more in the Bible than he does about how we should pray? Well, you're right. How did you know? It's good that you're biblically literate. If we're going to have a biblical worldview, which means we, we, we use the, the Bible, to, to, to the lens through which we see is the Holy Scriptures. If we're going to have a bi- biblical worldview, we've got to embrace all the Bible, including putting our bank statement side by side with the Word of God. 800 Scriptures in the Bible about money. 800 scriptures about managing assets and building wealth. Managing money is a spiritual issue, not just a physical issue, but it's a spiritual issue according to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the word he prescribes us to live by. Therefore, your church cares about how you manage your money. Now, I want to give you some encouragement and I want you to feel a little bit safe. Men, we're going to talk about money but you can let go of your wallets. You can let the death grip go. Women, you, you can unhook your arm from the purse now. I'm not coming after your money, but we do want to talk about your money. We're not going to talk about the church's money. We're going to talk about how you manage yours. Money is a powerful force in our lives. 
The Bible sometimes is distorted in its teaching by our current age. One major dis- distortion of biblical teaching is if you have faith, God will deliver you, for, deliver you uh, security and prosperity, which is simply to say, if you give, you get, and what you get is you get good health, you get good mental health, and you get more money. You, you've seen this. You, you've heard this kind of gospel. But Jesus warns us, that is wrong. That is not the true gospel. That is a gospel that has been distorted, oftentimes for personal gain. Jesus said to his disciples, you heard Kelsey read it just for a moment ago. I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person, not impossible, but very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again. It is easier to pull a camel through the eye of a needle. Think about that image. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. This prosperity gospel, if you give, you get, is a staple in late night television. You've seen it, right? You've all seen that program where for $59.99, you can get a a little towel of blessing. And once you pay the $59.99, blessings will come on you financially. You'll get a $1,000 check in the mail all of a sudden. Or you've seen another... uh, Pastor, one of my favorite pastors, this is his real name too, that does prosperity gospel. It's called Creflo Dollar. That's his real name. It's his real name. And, 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 and he preaches his prosperity gospel. But if you send in $1,000, blessings are going to bestow on you. Now, it's really important. I don't know if you watch the internet and watch preaching news like I, I might, but I had several people send this to me yesterday, so too late to get into my text for today. But Benny Hinn, have you heard of this guy? Benny Hinn was one of the leading proponents of the, of the uh, prosperity gospel. If you give, you get. And he has now renounced it. He has had a spiritual awakening, and he is renouncing that which he did for 40 years in ministry. I don't think he's going to have a Zacchaeus money, moment where he gives everything back. That would be awesome. I don't know that he could. But for one of the leaders in late-night TV and healing ministries to say, The gospel is distorted if you believe that you're going to get because you give. It's more important to that because God doesn't play favorites, you see. When it rained yesterday, who did it rain on? Everybody. It rains on the good and bad alike. The sun rises on the good and the evil, says, says the scriptures. The rain comes on the just and the unjust, the righteous and the unrighteous. Everyone gets the same treatment from God. Now, some of us are blessed with different number of assets. Some of us have, have more opportunity or others of us have less opportunity because the family we've born in, been born into, the educational opportunities we've had and so forth. But we're all seen as even in God's eyes. But sometimes, and this happens in the church as well, people think that God plays favorites because sometimes we do. Sometimes we look at people that are wealthy and we say, well, they have a, a better seat than we have. And Jesus debunks all that. I want to tell you a little story about when I was a young pastor, and it did happen. I was young once, all right. When I was a young pastor in Western Colorado, one of my friends named John had one member of his church that was 50% of the giving to the church. So at church council meetings for 30 years, when the church would want to do something or the pastor, not John, but other pastors, wanted to lead some new initiative, there'd be a vote taken, but then ultimately someone would come to the pastor and say, now before we do this, you need to find out what Cliff thinks about this. Because Cliff is our money source. Well, my friend John, 29-year-old pastor, 
when we were young, you know. He was brash, like all of us are when we're young. And Cliff was on the board, and they were talking about this initiative that they were going to do in the Montrose United Methodist Church. And, and they took the vote, and, every, and then someone said, well, well, Cliff, what do you think about that? You didn't vote. What do you think about it? And John said, hold on, hold on. With all due respect, Cliff, what matters is what we voted. Everyone is the same in God's eyes, and we all have to do this together. And even though you have one person that you believe is the most important in this church, in the name of Jesus Christ, we're all even. Meeting was dismissed, and Cliff called to the pastor. Come over here, pastor. And Cliff was older by then. He grabbed John, played football at Valprejo, big boy. He grabbed John and says, thank you. No one has ever had the guts to say that in this church. He says, do you know why I give so much money to the church, John? Because I have it. And what I give, though it amounts to a lot here, it is a tithe. I give it because God means a lot to me. That gift represents me. I never wanted the power and the authority of this church. I wanted Jesus to have the power and the authority. So thank you for making this church quit play favorites. Because God does not play favorites. Just because you give doesn't mean you're going to get. We all get blessed. But God blesses us, God blesses. There's a second major distortion uh, of biblical teaching, and that is that money is evil. You ever heard that one? And it's wrong. Money has no character. It is not inherently good or bad. Look what uh, Paul writes in Timothy. For the love of money, which is not money, the love of money, the quest after money, the pursuit of money, is the root of all kinds of evil. Not all evil, just all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered away from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. That which is to say, they got consumed with money. You, you can put a very small amount of money between you and Christ and you can lose focus of Christ all together. You aren't evil if you don't have money and you aren't good if you don't have money. Understand that. Money is amoral. It's without morals. Let me give you a little analogy. A couple years ago now, on, uh, it was around 4th of July when everybody was lighting off firecrackers and stuff in your neighborhood. Teresa and I were at the nighttime part of our life. It was like a little bit after 11 o'clock. Um, and all of a sudden, in my house, I heard the boom. And I'm like, oh, man, somebody let, let go of a bottle rock and it hit my house. But I knew it was louder than that. I went out into my kitchen, and somebody had taken one of my own uh, landscaping rocks, which is about the size of a pop can, and somehow been able to fire that through my window, broke my window, broke my shades, went all the way across my kitchen, put a hole in my wall, and smashed my $10 toaster. Oh. Now, I assumed, looking at the rock, that wasn't its purpose, and it hadn't done that on its own. Somebody had taken that rock and somehow shot it through, and I ran outside, and let's just say I mentioned they shouldn't do that. <laughs> I couldn't find them. I did fix my drywall, but as a matter of protest, and Teresa can attest to this, I'm keeping that toaster, even though there's a big smash at the top. It doesn't hardly toast, toast anymore, but it ticked me off. <laughs> and it's not that rock's fault. You know, I took the rock, put it back in the garden. But my house also has this like cobblestone feature on it. And, 
And when the builder was building, and I know why that's rock there, is that rock could have easily been fit in there. And it would have looked beautiful, both used for different purposes, the same rock. But the rock has no character, it has no morals, it has no values, it's just something to be used. It's not good or bad, it's just something you can use. And that's what money is. It doesn't have morals, it's something to be used. There's this consistent biblical message that money is a magnifier of the character of the person holding it. If you have a jerk that has a giant pile of money, that just gives them bigger and bolder opportunities to be, do more jerk-like things. And if you have a godly person holding a pile of money, that gives that godly person bigger and bolder opportunities to bless God and to bless others. Money expands and limits our options both at the same time. The rich rule over the poor, says the scripture, and the borrower is the servant to the lender. Debt, now I don't, I don't want to overplay this and be too dramatic, but I want you to hear these words because they do have some, um, res- they resonate in our minds a little bit. Debt, debt creates a master-slave relationship, right? A master-slave relationship. The slave has limited choices. They have limited choices to do as they please. They have limited choices to give as they desire because their funds are already claimed. When they're working, the money that they're earning already has somebody else's name on it. It's going to come right through them before they even earn it. They're going to pass it on to those they they are in debt to. And this can become an intensely spiritual issue for us, for families, for people. Because we're talking about your very freedom to go and do as God serves and directs you to go. Listen to these statistics. This comes from, oh gosh, now I blew it. It's bankrate.com or something like that. Anyway, it's on the internet, so you know it's true. 57% of us, let's see if 57% of us, if it's true. 57% of us have lost a friendship or relationship because of loaning somebody money. 57% of us have lost their... 63% of us have not... Have someone in our life... Have seen someone not repay a friend or family member. 63%. Now listen to this. This This is one that's on the internet. Listen, Pat, you still owe me 20 bucks from high school. And you broke up with a girl. I want my money. Don't you have somebody that hasn't paid you back? Or you've seen that happen? I'm still mad at him he didn't pay me 20 bucks. Some years later, I should be getting over it, don't you think? But lending money changes relationships. A lot of you in here probably at least on, uh, in syndication have watched Big Bang Theory. You know what I'm talking about? This show, Big Bang. Give me the Methodist nod if you know the show I'm talking about. Okay. So Sheldon, Sheldon the guy who says, you might be right, but I'm righter than you, right? He, he doesn't really have a life, so, and he teaches at university, so he's got a lot of money. His friend Penny, she's hand to mouth, spending her money as fast as she's getting them. Some of it's internet shopping, some of it's, you know, just stuff. Well, anyway, she's out of money, and she's kind of stressed out and losing her mind about it, and she's talking to Sheldon about it, and he says, oh, Penny, you need money? That's your problem? And she says, Yes. He says, well, I have money. Do you want some money? And she says, yes. So he goes over to a coffee can, opens it, counts out five or 
$1,100 bills into her hand. And he says, oh, you can pay me back when you want. I, you can pay me whenever you get it. Don't worry about it. You can pay me. It's, it's all right. That becomes the determining moment in their relationship. Because a couple minutes later in the show, they're all sitting down to dinner, and, and Penny has to pay $12 for her Chinese food. And she says, what? Everybody has to eat. You know, she's become so consumed with the fact that Sheldon wants his money back. And she gets a package from Amazon, and she said, I ordered that way before we had this agreement. And he doesn't care, but the relationship's been changed. Lending money changes relationship. Pressure builds up in one of the parties, either the lender or the one that owes. And I tell you, when you do this inside your family, Thanksgiving dinner doesn't taste quite as good when you're eating with your master that you used to call mom or dad, uncle, sister, or brother. When all of our money has somebody else's name on it, not, not just, you know, Benjamin Franklin, we cannot fully respond to what God sends our way. So in the church, we use this word stewardship, and stewardship does not mean grab your wallets. It doesn't mean that. Church members for a long time have equated stewardship. They know, well, what's today? Oh, it's the stewardship. It's stewardship day. That means you're going to hear a money sermon, and usually it's a give your money sermon. But stewardship doesn't mean exactly that. Stewardship means money must be managed. We have to be good stewards of it. Stewardship in biblical terms means we're to properly manage God's resources. And the scripture says, be sure to know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. Simply, know what you have. <laughs> know how much you have and know what you're doing with all of it. So money management requires a plan. Now, I'm a little bit humbled because I'm standing in front of you and I see several professional money managers and bankers here that know a lot more about this industry and a lot more can help you a lot more than I can specifically in your own circumstances. And I will tell you this, there are few accidental successes in money management. There are few accidental overnight folks that became rich. To become financially fit, faithfully financially fit, we need to set goals for ourselves and establish a plan for reaching them. And we have plenty of people in our congregation that are financially fit because they've done exactly that. We, we don't have anybody that just woke up one day and say, oh, I created something this morning and I'm a billionaire this afternoon or won the lottery or any of that kind of stuff. You know the scripture from chapter 14 in Luke, but don't begin until you count the cost. <laughs> who would build, it says, you know, for who would begin construction of building without... Figuring out how much it's going to cost without calculating the cost to see if there was enough money to finish it. Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started a building and couldn't afford to finish it. If you spend all you make, according to God's word, we are fools. For scriptures say, the wise store up choice food and olive oils, but fools gulp down their food. There is no get-rich-quick scheme in scriptures. There's only get-rich-faithfully. The Bible further says, a faithful man will have many good things, and I will add women to that. But they who hurries to be rich will be punished for it. So this fall, it's as simple as this. Let's get weird. 
Let's get weird as a congregation. The reason I say that is because according to all the statistics, normal in America is broke. We think about how much uh, monthly payments we have. And, you know, we wake up on Monday morning and maybe you have the seven dwarfs in your mind saying, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. I know, I know. All the show choir kids are saying, stop singing Pastor Mike. (laughs) And I will. Because the goal of freedom, our fall programming, is to introduce a new normal to the world led by the Church of Jesus Christ. Over 100 people in our congregation have graduated from Financial Peace University. And I've never met one that said, man, don't tell anybody else to take this. They all say, it helped a lot. The opportunity is right now, and we want to extend it to everyone. Everyone in our metro. So, you know, you might feel financially fit, and I will tell you this, that if you need help, or if you have somebody in your circle of friends or family that you think, man, this would be awesome for them, try to influence them that. And also, don't hesitate to call me or one of my church staff, because as late as um, 20 minutes before I came into this service, I had one of our members come up, which makes three for today, They came up and said, hey, listen, if you know anybody, especially young married people or young engaged people that need this class, you call me, I will pay for them. Anonymously, but I will pay for them. Three three people have talked to me today about this, which means we have a wealth of others. So if you know somebody and and they don't even have enough, but I mean, we want people to have a little bit of skin in the game so they show up at all this stuff, but understand we have a lot of resource out there. And so we're going to unroll, and we've already had a few classes this morning in Financial Peace University. Over 200 folks have signed up for it. Now, Financial Peace University, it's not some magic potion that we can pour on people. It's not pixie dust, and it's not some elixir that everybody can drink, and we're going to be financially right. It, no, it's not. It's, it's tools and tips in a community to grow together in the management of our financial resources, because the goal is let's be weird together. The most theological document that most of us hold in our lives is our bank statement. If you look at my bank statement, you will see a window into the soul of Mike Morgan. Because if you opened it, you would see, well, it appears to Mike and Teresa that it's important to live inside because we have a mortgage payment on there. Apparently, Lynn County and the Linmar School District is important to them as well because I have a tax payment. Apparently, their children are important to them. The Transform Campaign and Marian Methodist. But you will see exactly what's valuable to you if you look at your bank bank statement because where our money goes, so goes our heart. What does your bank statement say about you? I mean, that's one of the great questions of Christ Jesus. Does it say you're generous? Does it say you're a spender? Does it say you're disciplined? Does it say you're financially prepared for whatever comes your way? And or has the moment come for you to make a change? So unapologetically, I make a call to these nine weeks. You you have to understand what we are not doing at Marion Methodist this fall to do financial peace and to offer freedom. See, we have all these very successful, very disciplined Bible studies that are going on, and we said, you know what? For right now, 
till November 17th. Let's, let's put those on hold. We have some programmatic groups that we say, this is so important, let's throw our whole self on that. Let's not do what you normally do so that we can look at financial peace and freedom. It's a big deal. A couple of my pastor's friends say, oh man, I'd never do that. And I said, I'm going to. I think God's leading us here. It's taken me 10 years to come to this moment. I think the Lord wants us to help people. I had a couple of free friends to say, oh, my congregation would never let me. I said, well, I know not everybody loves it, what we're doing. But I think everybody loves the Lord to know that we need to help people because people matter to God. And to help people, sometimes we have to be really tangible. We can say, I want to give you my thoughts and prayers, which, are matter, which matter, and I do that all the time. And I really pray for people. And sometimes we also have to say, in the name of God, try this. Try this. Try freedom. So let's find financial peace and freedom with the help of Jesus Christ and his church, which should help us come to some spiritual guidance and money management. And I believe this or I wouldn't be doing it. I think this is the opportunity, uh, potential opportunity for a life-changing journey. And people in our community are simply being called to freedom. Freedom is what so many people need. I, I loved what Simon said a few moments ago, uh, that, that, that God calls us to freedom. So I want to lean into this. Um, a story from, from where I come from. My first year in Colorado Springs, I would, um, during the offering time in church, I thought that was a most uncomfortable time. Even though I was probably making $1.05 an hour or something like that. I don't know how much I was really making, but not much. I was embarrassed to take the offering because I knew that everybody sitting out there knew that I got some of it. And so during the offering, I would just say, like, let's hurry up to it. Or I would, like, do announcements and stuff like that just because to take the uncomfortability of it. And I remember one day a, a fellow that was about my age now named Hugh Cullen, and I don't do a South Carolina accent very well, but he came up to me, he says, after church, Mike, you got it all wrong. I said, what's that, Hugh? He says, I love the youth group, but during the offering, I don't care how many hot dogs they need for their barbecue. But this is why I come to church. He says, do you, do you know why I come to church, Mike? I said, well, yes, to see the astonishingly handsome associate pastor, right? No. Don't laugh. That's not funny. He says, no, I come for two reasons. I come to hear the word of God, and I come to give gifts that represent my love of God in the offering. Don't waste my time during the offering with gibberish. Let me focus on God and how much I love him so I can pour my heart and be glad in my offering. Change my life, my ministry. So every week and in a minute, we're going to take an offering. We take an offering not so that we can make people feel shackled. Not, not so we can make people say, oh, the church needs the money because I've never seen a church budget that was worth giving to. I've seen a lot of missions and I know a God that I want to throw my whole self at here in this church but so that we can free you to give gifts that represent you to God. So I'm not going to hesitate anymore. I'm going to step aside. I know uh, Simon and his team are going to 
let you focus your attention on God as we take the offering. So friends that are ushers, would you assist us now?